welcome to the Exploring Excellence podcast, a show where I interview professional service leaders, innovators and client service stars on the importance of people delivering excellent services to drive business performance. I'm your host, Lynn Bromley. I'm an author, speaker, business consultant and the managing director of First Impressions Training. I've spent my whole career in professional services and a large part of it in finance and technology, so I'm a huge fan of all things techie. But I want to make sure that in a world where we're more connected than ever before and strangely more disconnected at a human level than ever before, we bridge that gap between tech and people. So sit back and enjoy the show while I introduce you to today's guest. In actual fact, we have a first on the Exploring Excellence podcast today because we're joined by not one, but two guests. So first of all, we're going to be joined by Mike Penny. And then following that, we're going to be joined by Russell Howarth. Mike's got a really busy day, so I really appreciate Mike joining us. And so we're then going to let him go and bring Russell in. So I do hope you enjoy the fact that we have two guests today. Welcome to Series 1, Episode 7 of the Exploring Excellence podcast. I'm here today with Mike Penny at Zen Zero, and he's the Service Delivery Director. Hello, Mike, and Hello. thank you for having me over to, to your offices here in Warwick. So tell us a little bit about Zen Zero and particularly what, what you do here at Zen Zero. Okay, well, Zen Zero, we provide a range of managed IT support services. Um, that encover, uh, encompasses everything from looking after our customers' IT environments. Uh, we also deliver professional services, which are project work. Um, and we see customers undertaking project work for a number of different reasons. Uh, and we also do software development as well for a number of our customers. Oh, okay. I hadn't realised about the software development, actually. Yep. So, that's, so that's something new on me today. So that's great to find out about that. And um, tell me a little bit about your background. So what got you into, into what you do now? So I've worked in IT managed services for oh, far longer than I would like to remember. Um, uh, worked in a number of organisations, uh, but most of them have been sort of on the small to medium size. And about uh, five years ago, I found myself uh, working for one of those organisations that was acquired by a much larger business. Uh, and that gave me a taste of the sort of, if you like, genuine corporate world. Um, did that for a while and then thought, no, don't like this. Um, and wanted to go back to more uh, an organisation where you can be more hands-on, make a difference and actually really have a positive influence on uh, customer outcomes. Um, uh, found Zen Zero through our chairman. So I used to work for Mark Doyle, who is our chairman. Mm-hmm. Um, and came to Zen Zero two and a half years ago. Great. I can very much resonate with that because having been a project manager myself, um, I worked for a company that that grew and grew and the projects got larger and larger. And I ended up sitting there one day thinking, why am I sitting here with a thousand line project plan? This wasn't why I do the job because I, a bit like you, prefer to be hands on as well. So decided that was it. I needed to leave and and go back to a slightly smaller organisation with projects that were more hands on. So I completely get that. Good. <laughs> We've been in the same place, Absolutely. Right? So obviously you're, you're dealing with, with people the whole time in, in, in the delivery of your projects. So how important do you think it is to have great people that are delivering those projects for you? It's absolutely critical. And, I, uh, and one of the reasons for coming back to a smaller business um, is that we're very close to our customers. Um, we have, I mean, a wide range of organisations that we support, but on the whole, they don't have any form of internal IT presence themselves. So we are their outsourced IT department. Um, so you can't lose sight of that. So we're dealing with people's business problems and we need to get under the skin of those and actually have people that can listen and understand and not necessarily focus on what might be a technically interesting problem. So as technologists, that's always things that you th- we would naturally gravitate towards. 
Um, but quite a lot of what we actually do might not be technically challenging, but it's critically important to our customers at that point in time. Um, and it's really making sure that everybody that works in Zen Zero understands that. Uh, we, that's a, a key part of our recruitment. Uh, so we look for people that have got excellent customer service skills uh, and understand that ultimately we're just here to enable our customers to get the most out of their IT investment. They only need it to do their jobs. They're not necessarily interested in it. And that's our job to make sure that it's working and they get the most value out of it. There's nothing worse when your IT doesn't work. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Especially when you've got a pressing deadline. Yep. So, yes. And it will always be your printer won't print or you know, something <laughs> that, that looks trivial, but, but the impact on your day can be yes. huge. Yeah, definitely. So tell me a little bit about the culture here at Zen Zero. It sounds as though you enjoy working here and different to that large corporate environment. So Absolutely. So how is it different here? Um, I think really it's, uh, and I know terminology is always a difficult thing, but I sort of call it a leadership culture, not a management culture. And that permeates across all the teams. And I don't mean that in a necessarily a hierarchical way. Um, and it's about uh, just just keeping at the forefront of your mind. If you're not doing it, it's not getting done is a really simple way of thinking about it. So everybody adds value. So everybody comes in, we work hard. Uh, we don't necessarily know what the day is going to bring. Um, uh, sort of anticipating demand can be quite a challenge in a support-based organization. Uh, and it's just about really making sure that we identify what's the right thing to work on um, and, and really work very, very hard for those, those positive outcomes for our customers. Yes, great. And your company recently, well, it's a little while ago now, last um, March, I think it was, won the, uh, the STEM Award for Service Excellence. So how, how have you found that? Have you, um, have you found that's been a useful thing, winning an award? Because we've got, obviously, the awards coming up again for 2020. So if somebody was thinking of applying for, for an award, what would you say to them? Uh, I think, I mean, it's, I guess it's the same as most organisations and, and we're not necessarily a, a sort of award or badge collecting business, you know, um, but to be recognised was absolutely fantastic. And I think it really validated, um, uh, uh, certainly within the organisation, how hard everybody works. So it was, it was, it was very, um, uh, very, very pleasing and very well received internally. I guess externally, it's just great to have that you know, second uh, uh, view on how we perform as an organisation. And it's something that you can point to and say, look, you know, we feel we're pretty good, but look, that's been recognised somewhere else as well. So, yeah, it's been um, all, all around a really positive thing. Excellent, that's good. And I think you're absolutely right. The the impact it has on the team, especially those who are often behind the scenes and don't always get seen, especially when it's a support role and you're, you're perhaps talking to people on the phone, so you don't always see the, the end customer. It's really nice to have that recognition. Absolutely, to, absolutely. To know that you're appreciated as well. So that's great. So if our listeners are thinking about, well, what could we do to improve our service excellence? What are some of the, the top tips that you would, you would give to the listeners? Um, certainly think about what you do, uh, think about how your customers perceive that uh, and in IT we have to think quite carefully about some of the stuff that we is second nature to us from maybe just as simple as a jargon perspective. Customers may not understand what that means or the context that we're talking about those things so we try and boil everything down to what the customer requires and what um, and allows them to understand what we're doing for them. So we did over the last couple of years we've done quite a bit of work to think about how our services are consumed and make those easier to consume. Um, two or three years ago, we possibly approached every job or every piece of work that's the same. 
um, but actually having something as simple as a password reset and a project are two very, very different things. So think about what you can do to make sure that whatever you do to, for your customers can, is, is easily understood and, and, and easy to consume. Yeah, I think that's a really key point, especially when you're, you're in the IT industry, mm. because there are many people who are completely clueless yep. when it comes to that. Absolutely. So, and they always ask, <laughs> fear of looking no, silly. And, and no, and that, that, that is a huge problem. And we, and we do say that certainly when we recruit people, it's about um, not necessarily just your IT skills, but your ability to listen and understand. Mm. And quite often, the thing that a customer will phone up about is a symptom, not necessarily the cause. So it's about trying to find your way through those problems to, the, to, to what we can actually do to, to solve them. So if people would like to find out more about Zen Zero, where should they go? Uh, our website's a, a great place to start, so zenzero.co.uk. Um, we're fairly active on social media. Um, yeah, uh, look us up, reach out, and we'd be more than happy to speak to people. Brilliant, that's great. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I'm now here at Zen Zero with Russell Howarth, and he is the cybersecurity consultant, although he tells me that doesn't quite describe what he does as his job. So tell us a little bit about your job then here at Zen Zero. Uh, so what is it that you do? Okay, so my role essentially at, uh, at Zen Zero is to try and fill the gap between the people who know what the bad people are doing and the users who essentially don't know what the bad people are doing. Um, I'd love to be able to say that uh, if you spend enough money on cyber security, we could have a technical fix that would stop it all. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. So there are, uh, there's nothing we can do that will guarantee the security of anybody out there. So a, a lot of this is in the hands of what I call the there is some IT in there that, that can stop obvious scams coming in, but you need people to be aware and you also need some processes in place. And you can think of it as being uh, like protecting your house. You lock the doors. If somebody's walking down the street, they hope that when they get to yours, they try the door and move on to the next one. And that's very much how cybersecurity is. So um, a lot of that is education, as it would be you know, if, you need, if you've got a concealed entrance around the back of your house, you might be advice to put bars on it. I'm there to try and find those little weaknesses and, and give people good pointers in, um, around how to avoid them. Yeah. Mainly by telling stories about things that have happened to customers. Uh -huh. Can you share any of those stories <laughs> with us? Well I can give you some idea about, uh, about what we see. So uh, of course we, th th to coin a, fr a famous phrase, we never know what we don't know in terms of there could have been cyber attacks that are on customers that we, that we don't know about. But certainly the ones that we see and the ones that cause our customers most pain tend to be the ones around invoicing and, and money more than individuals getting there and trying to uh, uh, take their databases away. So what I mean by that is um, one, one of the ones we see an awful lot at the moment is either the invoice redirect, so that will mean that um, a, a hacker might get into your systems and be looking for an invoice going out to a customer. They will then, via all kinds of different methods, try and pretend that they're you and say, oh, our um, bank details have changed. And if the customer blindly pays that, they've gone to the wrong bank. Now, in many instances, if you act quickly, you can get that money back, mm -hmm. but sometimes not. So it is about essentially trying to educate our customers to educate their customers and essentially then to try and um, spread as much information as we can out there around the, the ways to stop that. One of the other ones that we see quite a lot is the I'm your boss 
pay some money. So that's one where someone in accounts will get an email saying, I need to transfer £20,000 into a bank account really quickly. Um, I know I'm abroad on holiday, but um, I'd like it paid now to this account. Can you do it immediately? And they're hoping again that that attitude may well make that person not think and that's the lack of process. Yes. So why are you doing that without any paperwork? Why don't we know about it? Who are we paying? What's it for? How are we gonna recall the VAT? All that kind of thing should be, should be raising red flags. So these are standard crimes that they've, they've turned into a, a cyber type crime. So, and when you go through that with a customer, they go, oh, it's so obvious, isn't it? And you go, yeah, but it happens. People are under pressure. Usually people are trying to please you know, do things rather than not do things. So um, by using real life examples and again, putting some software in place and, and some IT in place, we try and reduce the number of, of attacks. One of the other things that I've been spending a long time, and this is working and, uh, and useful for people to know, is we actually simulate attacks on our customers. And the reason for that is not because we're nasty, but what we're trying to do there is, to, is so that we can see who in the organization actually falls for the, the email that says, oh, you need to get your account unlocked, or there's an interesting email, or a, an invoice that needs paying, or a remittance advice. Um, we can see who clicks on it and then go back to them after and say, you do know that was a test. And here's some training and, really and just think about that. that I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we have to like, tell somebody that we're doing it. So you yeah. need to keep it secret. Yes. And, and sometimes you get somebody in the organization go, oh, I think I've got a phishing email and, and ruins it for everybody. Yeah. But um, essentially what we're trying to do there is look over a period of time. So we've now done about 5,000 emails to lots and lots of different companies. And I can say that the ones that are either taking these, um, these tests or, uh, and or have had some training, because I, I go along and do some education, it really is having an effect. We've seen like a fourfold decrease in the number of people submitting data, which can only be a good thing. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great. And uh, just thinking about it from a service excellence perspective, it's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because as you said, often people are thinking that they're doing the right thing and they're trying to please either their boss or their client, whoever it is that's asking for this information. Yet actually, you do need to have those processes in place to, to make sure that you stop and think and yeah. you're not getting drawn into, into doing those sorts and of things. that service excellence from our side mm. is all about we get, I think, 500 emails a quarter with people trying to be good people and saying, I think this is a spam. And we go, yes, it is. What we're trying to do essentially is help our, our people when we do get that to impart some more data back and say, yes, it's a spam. If it came to you and you were clever enough not to click on it, who else might it have come to in your organization who might not know about it or might have clicked on it? And I think the biggest challenge that we have and it, and it happens everywhere, it's not just the culture in our organisation, is one of, if you do click on something, being able to put your hand up and admit it. Because the sooner we know, the sooner we can do something about it. Definitely. So we are not the total last line of defence, but we're not far from it. So it's much easier to fix something before the, uh, the hacker gets into a system than after they've been in there for a week, and then suddenly somebody says, oh yeah, I remember that now. Because it, it takes an awful lot of time to, to clear these things away. Mm -hmm. So... I spend most of my time going around telling people about what not to do and being a, a real small sport and talk about don't click. 
So how did you get into doing that? Because I imagine it probably has been around for a lot longer than I, I realise, showing my ignorance, but it feels like it's a newer industry yeah. that's come and I think cyber security. Yeah, two, two things have happened, I think, that have, that have drawn me into this. Essentially, um, the first thing that's happened is it's much easier to go onto, the, onto some terrible sites out there and buy what you might call a hacker's kit. Mm -hmm. So it's available to lots and lots of people. I also think that uh, it's much harder to commit normal crime, if you see what I mean, and therefore, so you know, houses are more secure, burglars don't want to go get cold, you can sit in your, in your house and do it, plus it can happen from all over the world. So I can literally be sat on the side of the world and I can be attacking somebody in New Zealand and I don't have to get off, out of my chair. And as soon as people started to commoditize that software, that's when it really went, um, became an epidemic, I suppose. So people that weren't used to being able to be attacked by these organisations were. So how did I get into that? Well, I joined the organisation really to look at some, some software that we have around GDPR. And while looking at GDPR, one of the 12 pillars of GDPR is about security. And it became obvious that most organisations were focusing on the, the whole idea of, of looking at getting permission to send emails out while not looking at whether the emails they were sending out were secure in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it became obvious to me that we needed something around that. And I have essentially um, said we, we need to be providing this as a service. And it's not totally altruistic, I must say. From our perspective, the less successful attacks our customers have, the less work there is for us, the better our reputation, and the better, hopefully, their reputation is. So I've... I've got myself into a situation now where yes I'm going out educating doing training doing fishing tests and essentially keeping my eye working with the police and so on to make sure that we give the best advice we possibly can the problem I see is that there are an awful lot of software companies and other other um, support companies out there that see this as a way to make a, a quick buck essentially so they'll be selling things that aren't necessarily necessary and we have a constant battle between trying to give the customers as best value for money as we possibly can, yet getting them to spend enough money so that they're not totally wide open. Mm -hmm. And that, that landscape has changed hugely. And it's one thing that, that bothers Anne and I that we feel we're having to, to go to organisations and say, you need to do these things. And they're going, I don't think I'm going to get attacked. I don't know anybody that has been attacked until they go, I've been attacked, please come and help me. Yeah, and that's not the way it should be. Yeah, it's a bit like insurance, I suppose, isn't it? It's one of those things you know you, you've got to have it. Otherwise, you know, if you do get verbaled and, and you haven't, then you're in, you're in trouble. So I think we have one more level on top of that. It's, it, it's insurance where also you've got to buy a lock. Mm. Otherwise, you're, you're, the insurance won't work yes. because they're going to get in. So it really is about locking your doors as well. And the padlocks, unfortunately, it seems every, every week you need a, a better padlock than the one you had before. Mm -hmm. So, and, it, and the, the, um, the software out there is legendary in terms of its complexity and also legendary in terms of choice and price points and all those great things that are out there. I'm never, I'm never surprised by how much something can cost or how cheaply you can do something that saves you an awful lot of grief in the long run. So it's, a, it's been a, a really enjoyable to, to, to go on that journey. And I feel I'm now in a, in a place where I can actually add a lot of value around that. And being the bridge between the, who I would call the long foreheaded ones who work in this organization, they're very clever people who understand how it all works. Yeah. And I'm trying to turn that into something that 
anybody can understand who sits there on their PC or they're trying to do their job. Mm -hmm. I was just chatting about that with Mike actually about making things simple because in IT it's renowned for having jargon and complex things that you know general day-to-day -day people who aren't an IT expert just don't understand so I'd imagine that's that's a real skill is is taking what the the technical people know about and then converting it into something that everyday business people can, can yes understand. and I and I can slip into as many three-letter acronyms as you could possibly imagine with ATP, MFA, and so on and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And you, I think we, we forget that we know what those things mean. And so often the customers ha do not have a clue. It's called the curse of knowledge, isn't it? Once you know something, you can't imagine a time that you didn't know it. And I think that's always the, the yeah. challenge. I know I have to bear that in mind when I'm delivering training. Yeah. Um, sometimes the, the most simple thing that I think everybody must know, actually they don't, especially if you're dealing with... Um, you know, younger professionals as well. So yes, in fact, today I've been to a school and done a, and and, be, and they've been fascinated at some of the stories yes, I've been telling. Yes, and uh, and yes, <laughs> you, well, I, I think one of the things that, that I was showing them today, I've uh, we had a, a particular attack that's called spoofing, whereby you will pretend to be somebody you're not. So I can pretend to be Her Majesty the Queen, and send an email from Her Majesty the Queen. And if you don't look very carefully, it could actually be from Her Majesty the Queen. Mm, and, and essentially, we had a customer who had one of those emails and they changed the, the name in their, in their domain or the thing, the, the bit after the at, as I would say, not to use a jargon term. And so it wasn't coming from that company at all, but it looked like it was. So I mocked something up today for, the, uh, for everybody that said, look, here is the name supplier with an L, obviously, before the I, and then I change that to a capital I before the I, and unless you get the font that shows that, they look exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And you said, that's the kind of thing that they will do, because yes. they're clever. Yeah, HMRC were, were uh, going around doing the, doing the rounds, weren't they, some time ago, so they, they were the, the ones that were being spoofed the whole time. Yeah, and, and it still goes on yeah. to this very day. So um, we've talked a little bit about culture because we, we talked about uh, the culture of other organisations and the fact that it, it need, they really need to have a culture where it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay for people to put their hand up and say, hang on, I think I've clicked on one of these emails and I shouldn't have done. Um, so that's a really important thing for, for companies to realise that mm. they need to make it okay for people to, to make those mistakes. So tell us a little bit more about the culture here at Zen Zero. Obviously we chatted with, with Mike about that, but what, what's your take on? Because it's a, clearly a growing company, you've got lots of new offerings that you, you now have. So it's, it's, and that's always fascinating to see how the culture changes within a business as it grows as well. So, so what's your take on culture? I think it's particularly challenging for not just for this company, but for all IT companies. We have lots of very clever people who can talk to machines better than they can sometimes talk to me. So it, it is essentially trying to, um, to show them that essentially most of the, most of the issues we have here are not about an incredibly complicated piece of software that's doing 55 things and, and bouncing things off the moon. It is usually because a user has done something that to them would be utterly silly. And, it's, and, and then what they shouldn't do down the phone is go, you did not do that, did you? It is, oh, I see what you did. I, I could see how you did that, yes. But right now, let's go and do something about it quickly. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's not making the, the user feel silly. You know, they've done something silly. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, uh, that is because 
it's incredibly difficult to, to get that right, mm. particularly when you can see it's as plain as it was in your face what the user did, and the user sometimes doesn't remember even doing it. And so you say, well, you must have. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. So we have an awful lot of, of, um, of, of clever people who it's the human side, and I think all of IT companies struggle with that, with making that bridge. It's almost, I mean, some organizations say to us, you're my IT company, I leave my security to you. And I say, you can't, because we cannot do it all. You've got to do some of that. And, and the ones that are, that are good will say, well, tell me what I need to do, if they trust us, which our customers do, as opposed to the one that fight all the time, say, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do the other. And, and we need to go on a journey with our, with our customers. We have small, medium, large organizations, all with different levels of sophistication. And again, the other challenge we have here in, in, in terms of, of helping people along is to vary the, the, the level of message to the person you're speaking to. Mm, yeah. So in some cases, the person you're speaking to hates their PC, they would hit it with a hammer if they could, to the ones who, <laughs> yeah, to the ones who love their iPhone, love their PC, will never write anything down they could possibly avoid it. And, and, and they want a different conversation with you. And knowing that is really quite difficult yeah. to do. So they, I think and our culture is changing from being back room to much more up front as, as, as life gets more complicated. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that were hard in IT to do, you know, making machines talk to each other, we take for granted now because of the internet. Yeah. But that has brought about a whole new set of issues, mm -hmm. such as I can, I, I can access just about any PC or any, any server in the world that's exposed to the, to the internet from anywhere in the world mm. and how are we going to stop that yeah. and so, as yeah. you said it's bringing about those communication skills the human skills are still important even though you're dealing with with technology yeah and i think one of the again the other thing in, internally in, in this organization with anybody else where we have young it people um they are quite used to speaking to somebody and essentially trusting who they're speaking to often is the person it is whereas i spend most of my time thinking who is this person I'm speaking to? Is it who they say they are? How do I know that? I'm becoming very cynical yes. as I get older. <laughs> but that's what you need to do. Yeah, as you begin to think to yourself, but I will one day I will click on something I should not and I'll have to eat my own words, won't I? But, I'm sure you will. Yeah. So if our listeners would like to improve their service excellence, what, what would your top tips be? Obviously Mike's given us his, but what, what would your specific top tips be around that? Well, service excellence is always about people. Mm -hmm. I think you need... You need process to underpin that. If you say you're going to get back to somebody in three hours, a really good idea to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think it is about trying to get your team to adapt its language to the to the, the whoever it is the customer is. Mm -hmm. And I had a long time ago there was a I had a, a, a programmer I think, and they were they were they were being shouted at, and they go, "Why is the customer shouting? It's only been broken for." for two hours, you know, it was a long, long time ago when software didn't used to work that well. And I said, look, what you're forgetting here is that person's probably not just giving it to you for two hours, been struggling for, for two days with this, it's month end, they have a deadline to make. They don't care why it doesn't work, they don't care how busy you are, they've got a boss as well. Yeah, they just need it to work. So, so you, you saying, I don't know what your problem is, you know, I'm, I'm working on it, doesn't go down very well. You need to change that language. Mm. And I think that's the hardest thing to do when you're sitting inside your cosy office and you're having a good day and whoever calls you is having a really bad day. Mm. So empathize and then relate to that. Yes. 
and I understand. Yeah, that every, everybody's got an uh, got got something that's on their mind, but our job is to try and help them through that. Mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So a bit of a bit of empathy goes a long way, doesn't it? It it, it does, but I but it's but it's not difficult, and I think mm. it, that takes experience, and and essentially sometimes meeting that person, thinking, oh, well, they were they're not that bad after all. But we all have our customers that are challenges, let's put it that way. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. So one of um, our values at, at First Impressions is all around contribution. So giving back to, um, to either helping, supporting people or working with charities. So is there a particular charity that you'd like to mention today that either you personally work with or Zen Zero works with? Well, no, there's one that Zen Zero has worked with in the past and we supported them on their 25th anniversary. And that's Safeline which is, uh, I think, a, a, a charity around young people. And um, the, it was formed by a, a, a lady who I think is recently retired who came along to Warwick Castle and gave us a lovely speech on, on how it all came about. Great charity, worth anybody's support. Brilliant. Thank you very much for, for that. And we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes along with the, uh, the link for Zen Zero as well. Thank you. So thank you very much for your time, Russell. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Mike and Russell on today's podcast. I'm sure you'll agree, two very different characters doing two very different jobs at Zen Zero. And it was great to listen to the the differences in their approach to to those two things. And I think what, what was interesting is that the common aspect that came out for both of them is that the customer is always front and center in everything they're looking to achieve. And of course, in a service business, that's absolutely the right thing to be focusing on. So I thoroughly enjoyed listening to, to both of their stories. And if you would like to, to hear more from them or have any questions, then you can contact them on their website, which you'll find in the details on the show notes. And of course, you'll find details of the charity that Russell mentioned as well. Uh, We talked with Mike about the Service Excellence Awards and we have Service Excellence Awards 2020 and the closing date for applications for those is the 24th of January and we have another Black Tie Awards dinner on the 19th of March to announce the winner or the winners of all of the categories of those awards. So if you do want to apply then head over to the website which is www.serviceexcellenceawards.com .co.uk and I would love it if you would do me a favour and pop over to wherever you listen to the podcast and to rate and review and leave a comment. It really does help other people to find the podcast as well. So I will be joining you again next time. So next month we'll be speaking to an accountancy practice and we'll be exploring service excellence with them. So in the meantime, have a great month and I will catch you in December. Bye for now.